Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We have another incredible episode lined up for you today. But before we get into that, huge shout out to all of our amazing sponsors Janice International, Store Local, Live Oak Bank, and Tenant Inc. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You guys probably hear us talking about these guys on the podcast all the time. Janice International, tons of amazing people, tons of amazing products, services, their Noki service, their R3 program, all these different aspects to help you build an amazing storage facility or upgrade your storage facility. Uh, just a fantastic group. Store local. It's honestly one of the biggest threats to self-storage is, is market consolidation and everything that goes along with that. So enter Store Local, the largest storage co-op in the world. Just amazing people again, tons of tons of awesome people there and uh, amazing solutions to bring everybody's resources together and uh, utilize those in an effective way to be able to compete and also uh, thrive in a world of competition with some of these larger REITs and the big players in the self-storage industry. Check out Store Local. Amazing, amazing opportunities there. Live Oak Bank. I don't know how many of you guys came to our live event in Coeur d'Alene just this past year, but uh, we had some amazing conversations with Live Oak Bank there, and they were probably one of the most popular uh, <laughs> topics there in our, our breakout sessions. And And people want to know. They, they want to know the financing. You guys want to know what the solutions are, what the deals look like, all these different aspects to financing. Live Oak Bank is that answer specifically for self-storage. They specialize in storage, which is just incredible. There's no learning curve for them to understand the asset. They know it. They've been there before, and they can help you see things that you might not even be seeing yourself. So Live Oak Bank, amazing. Check the link in the show notes. And last but not least, Tenant Inc., Tenant Inc. is an incredible slew of products and services, essentially, for your storage facility to help automate, to help streamline, to help optimize your business and your storage facility. They've got uh, their Hummingbird platform, Nectar platform, uh, their Mariposa platform. Just to scrape the surface here, their, their property software, the big thing about this is the API is open. So you guys can actually, you, you own your data, you can use other third parties and back that into your systems. It's not this closed system that, that only uses proprietary X, Y, and Z. You guys have total control over your data, total control over these various aspects of running your business, uh, running your storage facility. And uh, they just got some amazing products. Again, these are storage owner operators that have created and developed these solutions. And uh, it, it's just an amazing platform. So check it out. Without further ado, guys, here's the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. And today, Connor, we have a fun podcast in store. I'm pretty excited about this one. Dude, I am too. Anytime uh, we can pull one of the crew in, and uh, this isn't right. just any crew. This is uh, this is your dad yet again, and, and right. partner in all of this. That uh, the man, the myth, the legend dude, kicked kicked this whole thing off, really, so to speak, and in, in a number of ways. 
Yes. I mean, he made you and then yep. created uh, what we <laughs> know. One kickoff for me. <laughs> yeah. That was a really important kickoff uh, for yeah, me. Dude, I mean, that's that's pretty <laughs> pretty critical moment there. Um, but then, then uh, initially, that's how you ended up finding about storage, right? Yeah. I wanted to yeah. do, I, w- I was looking at multi-family and particularly like fourplexes because mm-hmm. uh, that was the height of the the you know prior to 08 boom um and he invested in a storage facility out of idaho falls and he's oh, like kidding. look look at these numbers because i was having <laughs> a hard time like i think a lot of investors were like the numbers just didn't make sense back then it, it, there was no cash flow. There was no anything. Kind of like it right was now. Like, yeah, <laughs> except <laughs> even worse. I mean, like when you looked at an income to value back then, it, it was kind of crazy. Um, and so he's like, look at, look at these. Because I mean, at the time, they were like 10, 12 caps. So, so crazy. It, it was like, why, why would we ever be doing this? Like multifamily, there's no cash flow. And even though people at the time didn't like storage, there was cash flow. So, you know, as uh, you would say, blind pigs find an acorn every once in a while, just rutting around. And so it, it was like, you know, we weren't the smartest people, but we certainly got the fact of cash flow. So he convinced me, he said, let's do this. And from there, we went up to Bonner's Ferry and bought that little thing from Ryan. And, um, then it was from there it was tri-cities then from there it was the big one in pendleton and then that's when we went into the big stuff it was in pendleton <laughs> pendleton oregon <laughs> isn't that crazy that's crazy to think that pendleton's the big stuff yeah, yeah it, sure. it, with 300 <laughs> units that yeah. was our biggest it was it was big at the time yeah. well it scared me at the time it was it, it was um 3 million bucks and you know, I, I think it's easy to look at where we are now, and it's like for sure, it's just so easy. Like storage to us now is it's simple. We it's like two plus two, it equals four. You know what I mean? But back then, it, it didn't. We didn't know it like we do today. And so that first one that we bought was an eight cap. That first big one uh, was that eight cap, and at the time we were buying them at. 10, 12 caps, and we were getting owner financing. And all of a sudden, we had to go to a bank and get an eight cap on something that was $3 million. That was a lot for us. And that was scary. (laughs) You know, this was a big kind of move. It was still a little unknown, right? Um, But it didn't compare to any other asset. The, The cash flow was still there, even at that eight cap, even... Right, which is so funny to think about now. Yeah, look at that. Because exactly, yeah. at the time, an eight cap seemed really expensive. Like we were yeah. paying a lot of money for that. Um, but man, I wish we could get eight caps today. Yeah, I know. And that that was really, too, I think, the both the perspective that that was very expensive. And the only reason we were willing to pay at that price and cap rate was because we got the owner to finance it yes. at very favorable terms and arrangements, which long-term we found out um, that was a good deal and smart for us. Yeah. Um, but uh, up we to were that looking point, at that just like, it was like two weeks ago and we're like, we've pulled our money out of this thing like four times <laughs> <Exactly>. over. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, which is interesting too, because I don't think we'd buy it again. 
Right. Well, and where we were doing kind of third tier markets, but we were ranging from kind of the smaller stuff from 100 units to 300 units yeah. was um, our biggest one uh, there, the one in Pendleton at 300 units. And um, the other thing that came with that that was so important was we had, um, and there were a, a couple that lived on site that was very, very good managers. Yes. And that was real critical to us at that time, somebody that was familiar with things, knew how to took, yeah. take care of things, we could trust, and he was great. And so that worked out so good because we weren't to that level to know yeah. how to take care of things yes. and run things. And we, we really depended on the managers. We did. Really did. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask was yeah. you had mentioned a little bit about the financing and some of those hurdles back then at that yeah. point in time. But outside of that, I mean, what was the scariest part about that? Was it just because it was bigger and more money? Like, I mean, what was it exactly? I, I think- well, I, I don't know. I'll tell for me, like, first of all, the sticker shock compared to what the amount you're buying for it, thing like that. But I, I think for me, it was just more of the unknown. Like, you know, when you go back to when you haven't been doing something, you don't know. And this is every business, every, every business we've ever got in, every ones that we bought, the first time you're entering into it, it's just this, there's things out here that I'm at least self-aware to understand. I don't know what I don't know. And I know there's something here that I don't know. I just don't know what it is. And at the time, we didn't have social media. There wasn't podcasts. This didn't exist. There wasn't even books on storage. It was like there was just no information, right? So it was us looking at it purely as a business and depending a lot on the manager. And so for me, I think it was just more of the, we don't know what we don't know. And I'm not sure what that is. Well, that's really true. And the only way I was able to get up to speed a little bit is we went to some of the like the yeah, ISS, ISS. Conference, conferences and um, on a couple, two or three different occasions. Which were nothing back then. Yeah. And it, it was, it, you know, all new and everything new. And so I was trying to learn from there. The other thing, too, I used for everything from managing the books to that type of stuff was existing people we had in our current benefits, uh, benefits business. Yep. And so those were folks that uh, took care of those kind of things for us because we either had the on-site manager or in our smaller facilities, we contracted it out with the local Local. real estate firm Mm -hmm. or whoever that uh, had a management that they did for other properties. And so it was a different experience, but it was a great learning experience. And just prior to that, I'd gone through the process to look at building, went through about a year and a half long process of getting land rezoned and all that stuff. And that was so painful and difficult. By the time I was done, I said, okay, I'm going to go out and start buying some smaller ones and (laughs) learn and grow from there. Because Which can you imagine if we would have built before we learned, we would have made so many mistakes. Yeah, exactly. We would have, I mean- I was going to say, it came full circle because we're doing yeah. that right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're moving lines and rezoning. Yeah, yeah, and do- rezoning. <laughs> yeah. It's a long, hard process. Uh, and if is, you don't dude. know the outcome, yeah. I mean, it, you know, these the, these stuff, they take years. Mm-hmm. They take years. And not knowing, trying to build, I mean, we would have built in living quarters. And, yeah. You know what I mean? We would have done all the things that we would have never done when we actually right. built it and filled up in three months mm-hmm. that we couldn't have accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, such a good point. Yeah, it's really true because at that time, so many of the facilities were still in industrial areas. And yes, they weren't a more the retail approach we look at today and in, in um, nicer areas and higher visibility and nicer signage and those type of things. And, and to AJ's point, we were looking at uh, when we were going to do that development, adding housing for uh, the managers and things like that, that we just 
don't do today because it's a, a different world. So that when we did build there, eventually we built, you know, high quality office, some climate controlled uh, spaces and yeah. uh, those type of things that um, uh, we wouldn't have done just a few years before. And, there, mm-hmm. and two, a lot of people, you know, today we, when I look back and go back, there was not third party management like we have it today. There wasn't the technology today. So two, that's a big one. We were, we were buying these and they weren't local. That's, that's a really important thing to know. They were very far away and we really depended on the local people there, the manager, right? It, it was really dependent on that. We didn't have the tools we have today to actively manage or, or, or run these things. So it was re- which I always look and think, you know, I think the, for our firm now, particularly on the private equity side, what we've done, the reason why it works so well and what it does is because our methodology to storage is very different than most people getting into it today. It was very dependent on cash flow, fundamentals, low risk, and it was really focused solely on growing that revenue. Um, and we had to build everything ourselves because the opportunity didn't get it. Now, that made, you know, I was talking on, um, I can't remember I was speaking, but I was telling how me and you worked, uh, which, by the way, we were working not only full time, beyond full time, running the benefits shop. Then we sold that and we're working for a fortune you know, five hundred huge company worth tens of billions of dollars, full time. Me and my dad full time when we were doing this, both of us. Well, and full time as in like sales representatives. That like yes, full time means like eighty like plus yes, hours. Yeah, week, absolutely, like no eighty days plus off. hours. <laughs> and we went. Um, we didn't take money out, so I didn't start taking money out till after I was paralyzed, and then my dad shortly after that. So that's, we're talking like a decade that we did this. Me and him worked full time at this because there was no outside resources and we had to build it all ourselves. What happened is our expectations for cash flow were really, really high. We're like, we've got to get huge cash flow because that cash flow has to pay for a management company that we have to build because it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And all that money has to be poured back into that. And then if we wanted to grow, you know. We talk about this all the time, but the most expensive thing in the world is growing. Uh, But we sacrificed and still do. And I think it's probably one of the best things that I've ever learned from you is we always sacrificed for the long term. Always. It was never a thing. Me and my dad, we just did it. We ran our businesses. We helped each other on all these different lines of business. And we let those businesses, we let them run and gave them the capital that they need and didn't extract that capital for short term gain. And that laid the foundation now for what the PE side, our private equity side, can really build and grow off of. Because if we would have taken money out uh, while we were working, we just it, we couldn't have done it. Yeah, it's really true. And um, that was just kind of part of our approach because we didn't need the, if you will, profits from the storage business to live. We did that through our um, you know, firm we had with our benefits so that we could pay down the debt, we could um, upgrade them, use the money for that. And so we didn't have to- Hire internal management people. Yeah. Now, the trade-off to that too is we didn't know what we know today about how to maximize revenue and growth that we've since learned. And so there's um, a lot of new 
things we know now that we didn't know then. And that was the good part about starting out smaller and uh, with um, smaller facilities and stuff. It was our way of learning and growing and so that we didn't make major mistakes that cost us financially. And then as we uh, got better at it and smarter at it and um, more efficient at it, then we stepped into it in a big way and we've done well from those that, that learning experience. Yeah. And let's kind of talk about that because, you know, at first we were, you know, you do everything. It's just kind of the nature of it. You're dealing with bad tenants. I'm I'm kicking out the guy that's living in his unit who ends up going and shooting up a neighborhood. Right. The next week uh, we have snowstorms coming in. I'm out to chop and trying to unplug drains after work. And, you know, we did that and we tried uh, by trial and error on our management company to see what worked, what didn't. And it left us over the years with a really good model of how to extract that revenue and value. So why don't you talk about some of the things that we've learned that has a big effect on the revenue and managing these storage facilities. So once again, all you people, you don't have to go through that process or anything. You can just hear it from us and tell us, don't do this or do this. (laughs) That's a good deal. Well, and that is important part of what we have with our management company is the ability to step in immediately and start running it um, as efficiently as possible and getting up to speed. Now, when you're taking over a facility that has not been run that way, there's a period of time it takes to get it there. It um, depending on what the needs are, whether it's a, a facility that's in good shape or whether it's one that needs new gates, new pavement fixes, new lots of maintenance fixes, um, office remodels, that type of stuff. You know, to get to where you want to be, it may take a year, a year and a half, as opposed to one that's in good shape physically and uh, doesn't need a lot of capex expenses. You can get there quicker by the management tools and the uh, the skill set of our team on our management team. And the things we've learned over time is um, how to manage the and maximize the the rates yes. based on what our competition is. We have the ability to. Uh, research that quickly. We have tools to help us uh, set our rates uh, competitively, but yet appropriate for um, uh, maximizing it based on unit size to uh, increase revenue and have a more of a set time frame of when we raise rates to people. Because one thing that we've learned is that those who try and keep their rates low because they're afraid a tenant's going to move out is uh, tenants, if they're not hit with significant high rate increases uh, and depending on where they're at even sometimes with those they don't uh, go move out for a few dollars change because they don't want to go spend their sa- their all their Saturdays or week they go yeah. moving out down the street to save a few dollars that in six months they raise the rates yep. and it's more to do with the proximity where they're at what they need whether it's climate control size those type of things so th- that rate management is a huge and important part of what we've um, come to with the ability to uh, maximize revenue and profits. Do you remember when we had like the small facilities and we'd sit around and be like, you know, can we raise it 6%? Like, (laughs) I mean, we we would discuss this just endlessly, right? Me, you and Sam, it would be like, what, can we do this? Or or is everybody going to move out? You know, we, we didn't really know or understand. And it was like, and at the time, it was just flatline. So, I mean, yeah. oh, all 10 by 10s. We just raise them all, right? Yeah. Um, uh, what, 
you're talking about now, he's talking about individualizing that uh, rental rate process and in, in history and everything. But at the at, before, it wasn't a science. It wasn't anything. It was just what do we think we could get, mm-hmm. and then we'd try it out, see if it worked, right? Um, and it was a flat line. Okay, all ten by tens or all unit this size. Let's see if we can raise it up four percent, and then we'd wait for another year to try wow. to do it again. And uh, wow, was, we've come a long way. Yeah, <laughs> oh, dude, no kidding. Yeah, again, back to the technology and all these other aspects. Um, in those rural markets, how, like, let's say, like Pendleton, where there's not a ton of comparables, how how did you decide how much to raise and fluctuate those rates? Well, we didn't raise and fluctuate them often enough. Yeah. And um, and when we did rate increases, it was modest. And sometimes it was more of just the street rate, the new client yeah. rate, as opposed to existing tenants. And that's one thing we've learned when we take over a facility. Uh, one of my favorite stories is one facility we took over in northern Idaho that um, they hadn't raised rates in eight years. Mm-hmm. So we came in and gave a, a pretty substantial rate increase. And I remember the manager calling me saying, yeah, I had a tenant come in here and said to me, you just raised my rates. I haven't had a rate increase in eight years. What are you How doing? could you do that yeah. to me? Yeah. And I said, did you say, well, you're welcome. And um, because it's how we also, with that process, train our customers. Yes. Because if you go long periods of time and then try and raise rates and you think you've been nice to them, then they're mad. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you do rate increases on a set schedule, regular basis, um, it becomes kind of medic expectation. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a surprise or anything like a lot, that. A lot of people don't get that. It's, yeah. it's a big issue. I know. Like if you don't raise rates, when you do, people lose their minds and go crazy. When you raise rates all the time, you don't get any feedback. Mm-hmm. None. You raise rates, nobody does anything. Yeah. It's, it's just, hey, this is expected. This is how it goes, which is counterintuitive because you would think that if you never raised rates and you raised rates, everybody would be like, like you said, oh, I'm lucky I get to be here. No, you raise them every six to nine months, and they never complain. They never say anything. Uh, That was very strange for us to wrap our head around. Yeah. Well, and particularly, uh, I think one of the things that took me a long time to grasp that is if somebody's paying, you know, $150 or $200 a month for a facility or for a unit in a facility, then if they get a rate increase of 8%, it's not big dollars relative Mm -hmm. to... Um, other things they're accustomed to spending a lot more for, whether they're out buying a car or whatever it might be. The other thing, too, in the current market, and this is an important thing where we're currently dealing with inflation that around the country is in that, you know, seven, seven and a half percent range that if somebody gets a, you know, six, seven, eight, ten percent rate increase, it's not like they're shocked because nothing else is going up right now mm-hmm. in the marketplace, yeah. whether it's groceries, gas. Cars, anything, everything's going up. Such a good point because we just had a meeting the other day and and we had a member of our team was being like, you know, I see inflation going up and all these prices are going up. Like, aren't people going to be upset and come into the facility because everything else is going up and now their units are going to go up this X amount of, you know, cost. And that was exactly your point, which is is such uh, an accurate statement and a point because they're used to seeing that increase happening right now. Of course, it's going to make it more sense doing it now than in times that those events aren't happening. Right. And it was just so like, well, and I think eye-opening for the team to, to sit back and yeah. acknowledge that and see that. And that's something you mentioned with the team. It was something that we found out pretty early on that the biggest, the biggest um, hindrance to raising rates 
was our manager. It wasn't the tenants. The manager did not want us to raise rates. And that's for two reasons. First of all, they got people that would call them, which when they say I'm getting blown up, we would actually look at the phone records and everything. When they say they were getting blown up out of 600 units, two people called and they tell us everyone's Mm -hmm. freaking out and everybody's going to move out. And then you lose two percentage points on move outs, which is immediately filled back up at an even much higher rate. Um, But if you're not consistently raising rates and everything, not only does the tenant not like it, but your manager doesn't like it and they're adverse to it and they don't want you to do it. And so when you looked at when we looked at the uh, uh, manager, they didn't want to do it because the uh, the noise. But then also it meant work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It meant that they had to work more. Um, that took us a little while to get or understand when we were trying to say, is this really a problem or is it? And we, we learned pretty quick that the manager was blowing things out of proportion and we weren't getting a very good detailed report on what was actually happening. Yeah. Good. Trust but verify. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, that's so true. And we have a lot less of that problem nowadays with our managers because we train them. We have set times, we train them. They know that this time there's rate increases. And in the current market conditions, the last couple, two or three years especially, they know if somebody moves out, somebody else wants that. And they're happy to pay that that other rate and they're happy to get it. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes we have waiting lists. Of people that for certain sizes, so it's like, well, if somebody wants to move out, I, I I got somebody that just waiting. They call us every month saying, "Is that available?" and stuff like that. So it's a different world than yeah. it was then. And, and we train uh, them on it, and so we train them on it. This exactly. is part. This is just life. This yeah. is how. So they come into it. Most of the problems we have is when we took over a facility yeah. and was dealing with the in place manager. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, too, on the revenue side that we find, and we still do see this when we uh, take over facilities and stuff, is the collections of people not paying their bills or whatever the case might be, is um, many of these facilities just kind of let it go. They don't turn them over to collections. They don't have a collections uh, carrier or vendor to to turn them over to. And um, as a result, there's a lot of... um, Things that go unpaid and they maybe don't do auctions very good. And we have a very uh, rigid system for that. We have actually multiple people that the major part of their job is calling and and hunting down these, this getting the money from folks. And then if they don't meet the criteria once it's time, then these things go to auction. We have an online auction company that does this type of stuff so it's done efficiently and and quickly. And the other thing we found is when you do have to put things to auction, almost always the people that buy it from the auction rent the unit because they don't they're not ready to go pick it up and take it and move it somewhere or they're leaving it there for a period of time. So you automatically have a renter that's paying. That's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. Plus the other side of that too, that's always a, a big deal that when I look at it is this, those units that are sitting there for the period of time, the 60 to 90 days that you're not getting money. Well, you're not getting money for somebody else that wants it and wants to rent it out and was happy to pay. Um, the other thing we've done too, I think a good job at, and particularly when we're uh, starting a new facility, build one, is we do a good job of uh, getting people on auto pay. It's not mandatory, but we have a strong training there. And one facility we opened up uh, about three and a half years ago, um, we in short order had 90% 
auto pay, 85 to 90% range consistently and with auto pay, which is coming on their credit card or their debit card, um, one is you have a lot less people late paying because it automatically happens. They stay longer. There's less problems when you do a rate increase because they get the notice and everything and just go on. And um, you're not having to send out bills and all those type of things that are uh, not only costly, but um, difficult to deal with mm-hmm. with both the customer and you in handling paper. So they get email notifications, they get auto pay, and we're finding more and more people want and like auto pay. And so it becomes a win-win situation. Our, our collections issues or lack of people paying shrinks dramatically. So as a result, again, you take in more money, you keep more of the money on money that's due you. You have less problems with customers, less collection issues, less auctions, and they stay longer than they normally would when they're on auto pay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a huge issue that we, um, I think, do a very, very good job at those kind of things. I think so too. And on that, where uh, this is another, it's funny, this is another thing that was in the topics the other day at this meeting was um, when you're not staying on top of those delinquency calls and calling those individuals, then you end up having a lot of those auctions taking place at once very management intensive, losing tons of money. Um, that was just another thing that came to mind as you were, as you were talking about that, which is, is absolutely something you want to avoid. A lot of small operators too, they get, and, and I, I understand this because we were there too. We were really nervous about basically forcing auto pay because we thought we're going to lose all this revenue on late fees. And I hear this a lot. And we, when we're starting, we're like, should we do this across the whole portfolio? Should we mm. not? Like, let's test it out at one and let's see how it works. And w- what we found was that it is not comparable to having the ongoing um, auto pay from individuals, having the lack of delinquents, everything else associated with the fees. We made more money by doing that than we ever made with the fees. And one of the big reasons that we found was when somebody's paying in cash and you give them a rate increase, they're really ticked off. When it's auto pay and they get a rate increase, probably a huge percentage of the facility doesn't even notice. Mm-hmm. It's really true. And the other component to that too is your managers can focus their time and attention on other things yeah. rather than have to try and collect money and be hounding people and calling and that type of stuff. So very expensive. Uh, oh, yeah. yes, yeah. It, it is. And to Connor, your point about the auctions, um, the last time I looked, about 80% of the time when we go to auction, we lose money. Mm-hmm. And so, and the, the. So the net aggregate is always yeah. a loss is virtually a loss and because on the 20 percent or so that you collect your money if you collect more than they actually owed statutorily we have to send them the money back the difference so it's not like you make, make it up make it up yeah. on a few of the folks you don't mm-hmm. so uh auctions if you got to go to that point are never good for us not good for the customer and um and again you lose time that you could have been renting it out and off, most of the time have customers that want to rent it out and you can't do it so these different management tools, and, and I want to just talk about a couple others that we've, uh, I think, integrated into our system that's helped a lot with maximizing profits and occupancy and those type of things, is one of the things we did a number of years ago was uh, um, put in um, call center services to all our facilities. And um, that's huge because 
One is people can call in after hours. So if they work um, a, a different shift where they can't go in and pay or they need to change something or whatever the case might be, um, then they can call the, the call center and take care of most of these things. One, they can pay their bill if there's an issue there. They can get a notice or a note, a communication to the manager during regular business hours. And so whether they're traveling, whether they work a different shift, whatever the case might be, these call centers uh, facilitate a lot of those kind of things. Plus, we can rent out units through the call center. So if somebody calls at 10 at night and says, oh, I need this thing, they can take care of it, get it reserved, rent it out. And when they show up the next day to the manager, it's on their system and everything, and they know this person's going to be there and they, they got it all done. And so it adds a huge extra value without having to hire your staff to be there more hours and longer hours and more days. It's a cheaper way to accommodate the after hours and everything from holidays and other things that uh, you may be closed one day or two days a week, whatever the situation And not miss is. a potential renter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and the other- That's expensive. Yes, it you is. You start missing renters, that's not good. The other massive side of the value on that is is having a real person for a customer to talk to immediately, exactly. even after hours. I can't tell you how many places I call even nowadays. And it's like, it, I get I get sent to a voicemail. It sounds like it's on a cell phone or something. No name, no business name, no nothing. Um, and it's just like, it, for me, I'm like, this, this place isn't even professional. I'm not even going to try calling them back. I'm going on to the next one. And uh, I don't know how many people are like that out there, but I know that we exist, obviously. But just that, that other portion I wanted to mention, too, is just the value of having a real person on the phone, being able to talk to your customers and address yeah, whether they're trying to rent units, make payments, or if they just have a concern like, mm-hmm. hey, the gate got stuck open when I was leaving, whatever it is, and then being able to relay that stuff immediately to your team who then will see that um, when they get to you know their regular business hours and you know whether that's in emails or phone calls or whatever from the call center, uh, just such a, a huge, huge amount of value there. It's really true. And um, so by providing the wide range of of tools, both people can use, you know, the app, they can go on their computer, they can call the call center after hours, obviously can show up during business hours to do things. So whether your comfort level is, I just want to do it on an app and get it done, you can do it that way. Um, and with more and more technology, we've implemented to have, um, you know, the Noki system where you can have an app on your phone to get into your the building, to your facility, to your um, unit. Uh, those type of things get through the gate. Um, and obviously with that too, and it's an important thing for us in our facilities, the security aspect of it, cameras um, and other security things to um, make sure that one, people are safe and that they're, they're, um, the stuff they store is, is as safe as possible given the situation. And where, again, approximately two-thirds, I think it's 65% the last study of renters that actually take care of it, rent it and decide, are females. And those are very important things. They want to come into the facility and make sure they feel comfortable and it feels safe and they can see the cameras there and those type of things. And with most of our facilities, they can access 24 hours a day. So if you need to you know, come at 5 in the morning, get your boat because you're going out for the long weekend to, to go boating or whatever, you can do that or whatever it might be. In addition to that, those things are very helpful to the access and other things to businesses that use us. Whether it's a pharmacy rep that needs a climate controlled facility and needs to be able to come and go when they're 
going um, wherever they're going to to travel around the area for their pharmacy business, whether it's the builder that has several of his people coming in to get things to that does cabinet work or shop work or whatever. So we have a wide range of things, or whether it's, again, your, your motorhome and you need to come and go when you're coming from your trip or just your normal stuff while you're moving from your house, downsizing, upsizing, moving to the new home, whatever the case might be. So today we have a wider range of things people need and want storage for. A greater need because uh, most neighborhoods don't allow you to park your motorhome or your, you know, your jet skis on a trailer out there. So they need places like that. More people are wanting to clear out the garage and, and those type of things so they can park their vehicles in it and put it stuff in storage. So it's a, a greater and greater need. And it's a lot cheaper than building that extra storage building in your backyard nowadays with the cost of those kind of things. Well, and again, regulatory-wise, yeah. You're right, yeah. yeah. Most of them if, won't let yeah. you. You even can. Exactly. So well, given all the situations, people need to have the options and to, to be able to feel comfortable that the place is well taken care of. The other To thing, a lot of those people, prices doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter. If I can't yeah. get access to my stuff and yeah. run my business, price is irrelevant. So you can be twice as much. Yeah. I'm paying for you because it's irrelevant if I can't get... This, if I don't have the access, if I don't have the ability and the tools that I need to to do this, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really true. And also, for those that may need help or assistance or with something, you know, we uh, have a training process with our managers and we try and hire folks that are uh, well-trained into helping people take care of the, the needs they have there. We have in virtually all our facilities a golf cart. So when somebody comes in to uh, rent a facility, they are managing, take them to the golf cart, take them out there and show them the different units and let them pick which one they are. And, um, you know, in the heat of the summer when people are moving in, we have bottled water we give to people when they're out there moving because it's hot and miserable or whatever the case might be. Um, so we do a good job at taking care of our facilities, whether it's um, those normal things or whether it's, um, you know, other other things, facility appearance. We do um, a good job of trying to make sure our facilities are um, attractive, safe, and secure. And when we take over facilities, lots of times they're not in that, sh- that shape or that situation. So we have to take the time to remodel, refence, um, new, new security cameras because the ones they've had on there, half of them aren't working and they're old and stuff. Which or can fake. take a long time right <laughs> it, now. It does. It like does. Right, yeah. right now to get people to do it, it's, oh. it's tough. It is difficult uh, to get vendors out to take care of stuff. And that's why I was saying earlier that sometimes to do this process can be a year, year and a half yeah. taking over facility. And uh, it's a little frustrating to us, but it's the reality of what we're living in right now. And we do it as quick as we can yeah. when we can, but you can't uh, do anything quicker and you can get vendors out to take care of that kind of stuff uh, but we get there and mm-hmm. get there as quick as we can and lots of times that's again remodeling the office so it's nice and comfortable we uh, put in popcorn machines and bottled water stuff to give to our customers so that when they come in the place is nice and clean and smells good you don't feel like you're in a ghetto yeah kind of yeah. scenario so right I think we've learned a lot as we talked about over the years. Our management team is a very experienced uh, group of folks. We have a training system set up. We recently hired, in fact, a person to do even more um, kind of sophisticated training with our managers and uh, those type of things just to make sure that we are have them trained the best we can. 
as things change with uh, legislation, rules, laws in different states, they vary a little. We have um, systems set up so they can make sure they handle things right. For example, if a military person, you can't auction off their things, and we firmly believe you shouldn't be, yeah. especially if they're you know stationed abroad or yeah. something. So we make sure our managers are trained. You don't do that. We don't do that. If they don't pay or they aren't there because they're stationed in some foreign country thing, we want to take care of yeah. those military people and make sure that nothing's done wrong. And um, one, we follow the law, but we want to take care of those people. Yeah. So those are the type of things. And we obviously don't penalize them or those type of things for those situations. So there's a wide range of different uh, situations that we um, we have our people trained on to, to do a good job. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned that because that that training and offering that infrastructure and those resources for your team to continue bettering themselves and setting them up for success, I mean, is is the bread and butter of of good management and uh, continuing to build that out uh, as you go. I mean, it's it's paramount. Well, a couple other things too that we I uh, think have done a good job at is we've been very involved in. Um, state legislation to try and help both through our association, the SSA, um, and others, and here in our state as part of the state association, to help get favorable laws passed um, to uh, be favorable to our customer and to the storage industry and business. Um, for example, here a couple of years ago, we got some passed that hadn't been updated since before the internet was in, invented. Yeah. So it was restricted or limited as what we could technically legally do in terms of notifying people. And nowadays people want to, why don't you email me or text me that information? Yeah. You know, and so we got the laws <laughs> updated to help with those type of things. Which if you're in the storage industry, everybody, please do that. I don't care yeah. if you're just one store. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You need to go to SSA mm -hmm. and figure out what things are happening in the state and you need help out, help yourself, help yeah. other people get involved. This is really important in self-storage because self-storage is handled very differently in a lot of different states. And a lot of the laws associated with our industry are archaic in a lot of states. So, you know, everybody should be doing that. Oh, it's so true. And the Self-Storage Association, SSA, does an incredible Great job, job yes. of doing that. Um, and they've been extremely uh, helpful with us in the states and the locations we're in. And the other thing we've done and integrated, I think, in our management process and team is through our co-op or association, we've been able to get various tools such as the call center and others that are high quality services available at um, discounted rates because of the volume that is able to be purchased through the association. So we get a good pricing that's favorable to us, but at the same time, get some of the best vendors to do those kind of things that have been selected and and uh, picked and uh, that do are, are some of the best in the industry. So as we've integrated and used those tools through that, we can do it in an affordable way, yet provide that to our customers. Which is a yeah. big deal for small operators. Oh, and so much so. It, it, it's, you know, we're in a world where big money, things like that, where, you know, you're competing, we're separated yeah. out. Um, the ability to get um, volume pricing in the storage games, an important one. And store local has been really instrumental for us through that process and also education, everything else in our partnerships. And we learned so much from SSA and store local. 
Um, but I think it's important to know when we when we say a, we we learned a lot. One of the things that me and my dad were always really, I just think it was something that was really important to us is that we weren't just taking. We are participating yeah. in the industry, and you, by going out and going to the conferences, by getting involved with local ones, other operators. It wasn't a limited mindset. It was, we're going to go out and we're going to try to help create. We're going to learn from others. We're going to give, right? And um, when you're starting out, whether you're small, mid-sized, if you're not a REIT, right? This this really pays. It, it speeds up your learning, your resources you have available to. It really improves what you're getting and how you're running your business. And that's by you giving back. And that's been something that we've done. I mean, we were doing this when we were even taking money out of our own business and we were doing this for years. We were literally putting money into the industry to create better options for individual operators. And me and you weren't even taking money out of our own business. We were forfeiting money for that. So we weren't even taking profits for years and giving it back in. And, and that really pays off for everybody. Go get involved. I'm not saying you need to make those sacrifices. Anything we did. I'm saying though, that by you contributing and, and, and pitching in to the industry and groups like store local, the SSA, ISS, things like that, your local chapters, which is really important to string those, you get, you get so much out of it. I mean, we did, we learned so much. We got so many resources that hyperdrived our growth in a time where, you know, we, we weren't even sure where to go. It's so true. And, um, as a result of some of those things, like, uh, the store local and our involvement there and the spinoff at tenant, and now they're rolling out, um, the software that's going to be, you know, the premier in the industry, for property management software and, and uh, being able to own and control your data as opposed to the few that uh, own and control that, that most everybody uses now. And um, you, you know, you'll have uh, your ability to do what you need to do with that. And it's going to be some of the best in industry and some of the best pricing. Yes. And so um, those are the type of things that as a small owner, a single facility owner, or even multi-facility owners participating in those can save you a lot of money and be a huge benefit to your business and to your customers. 100%. Well, this was awesome. This is, I mean, so much useful information. And, you know, we could obviously talk about everything that we've done i, I mean yeah. it just even as we're talking i'm just, just like flashback well remember this facility oh remember gosh, when dude. we learned that and remember when we you know what i mean and it's like holy cow there's just so much and and i guess that's one thing that you know you should learn as an operator that we've been in that learning mode forever we still are and that's i think inherent to our culture we don't believe we're at an end we don't believe that we know everything it, we're challenging ideas and we're going out looking for better solutions in the industry um and that's something that i think every operator should always be doing don't think that you know enough don't think that you're good enough don't think don't stop keep going keep growing keep learning and analyze what you're doing another thing that we did a lot when we were building and growing is we had very open discussions about what was happening at our facilities and why 
and what we could change. And then two, we were okay trying things. We tried things. Sometimes they didn't work. Sometimes they did, right? Um, so be willing to take a, a little risk, you know, to try something new to see. And even if it doesn't work, make a quick change. It's not a big deal. But you learned and you can build processes and systems in place to get identified outcomes that you just can't identify unless you're unless you're learning unless you're trying things it it's a really important piece and i think it's something we still do today oh it is yeah i mean i'm getting kind of philosophical but i think that's one of the things that so many of us struggle with where we have this idea that there's always a finish line that we we've got to cross or get there and it's like you know that's not that's not what it should be every day every day there's there shouldn't be a finish line it should just be me doing what I want to do and doing good stuff. Keep you know? going. Yeah. No, well, that's cool, great. Guys. Uh, anything else you want to want to leave with everybody? No, I appreciate it. I tell you, it's wonderful to have such great team and uh, so many good people to work with. And uh, for us to be able to work together, appreciate all you guys do. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for people out there to learn and grow from these different uh, tools and avenues. So um, I... Oh, too. If you guys didn't see your your speech at the um, at our uh, event, I think we have that recorded, and I think we're putting we do. that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do. So you, we got to put that because that was a great one. The data that you went through on that on the industry update, that was awesome. Um, and once again, I mean, it's crazy to think about that. We're six months away now, or almost know, for yeah. for the next event. <laughs> yeah, so um, come crazy. say hi. Come uh, uh, talk to my dad, and come hear him uh, uh, talk and. I don't think we've identified yet your subject. You did kind of an industry update last time. So we'll see. We'll let you know, though, before, and you'll be able to get it, get it here some good. But thanks, Dad. I appreciate yeah. you coming on. Here. Thanks so much, Ron.